Welcome back to Poison for Profit. I'm Nick. And I'm Zach. And today we've got another riveting episode on Zach's Merchants of Poison report from the U.S. Right to Know. Uh, so Zach's going to get right into that and give you a quick little recap and where we're at on that. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, so Merchants of Poison, uh, the report from U.S. Right to Know, like Nick mentioned. Well, I went through an intro into just kind of the industry, a little bit of how they operate, why it is the way it is, um, and the first tactic, corrupting the science. Pretty much why it's so hard to uh, get accurate information, trustworthy information, uh, why it's difficult for you know, real scientists to even study the effects of glyphosate that they're talking about uh, in this report. And today we're going to get into the next tactic, trying to get into good detail here, be somewhat granular, uncover, you know, give this, give this report the respect it deserves because it is a really good one. Tactic number two, though, is co-opting academia. I've got a lot on that. <laughs> and then we'll get into cultivating third-party allies I'm not sure, you know, I'm going to keep this a respectful length episode. Um, <laughs> don't want to uh, bore anybody. So there will be, you know, additional episodes after this. What do you say, Nick? Shall we? Ooh, let's Let's get into it. Co-opting academia. Nick, you're aware of the wonderful condition our public university system is in as far as funding goes, right? Oh, yeah. It's uh, pretty pretty terrible. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, people are coming out with crazy debt and... Yeah. So even talking about like how programs are funded aside from you know, the outrageous tuition there is. Between 1970 and 2014, public funding to land-grant universities, which is, you know, the large state universities, uh, for ag research grew by 20%, okay? Nick, I want you to guess how much private funding in that same area grew by during the same time. Private funding versus public I'm just going to go double. It double. Was, so was it double? 40%? Yeah. Uh, it grew 193%. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so while we got 20% more coming from, you know, tax dollars, what public universities, you know, you would think they were, get, they were getting their money from their funding. Um, yeah, 193% increase from private funding. And that's, you know. This is just ag research we're talking about. So who do you think is funding ag research? Ag companies, I would guess. <laughs> uh, and a lot of this funding goes to sponsoring buildings, um, endowing professorships, and then, of course, paying for the studies and the research. Uh, but it also goes into things like recruiting privileges and being able to have, I guess, first dibs on on student graduating students um, to work for these companies uh, and also the rights to the research 
and the discoveries that happen on those university uh, research centers. So, I mean, like that kind of just paves the way for total control of any scientific uh, discovery, right? If you're basically buying the research center, you're buying whatever they figure out is wrong with the product that you make. Right. And that's kind of like an interesting point. I guess I didn't really think about it too much until now is that a lot of our research, we heavily rely on these universities uh, to complete. And I didn't even, I don't know, put that really together until now. (laughs) The vast majority of research is actually done in, you know, in the universities, the research universities. Mm -hmm. Um, and these companies, you know, they, they have research and development departments or, and, and stuff like that. But um, that's not where, like, that's to advance their product more so than, like, you know, what you think a university does, which is studies on effects and causes of certain things, right? Yeah. Um, so it's really being outsourced into these what are supposed to be institutions that operate out of public trusts and for public interest, really. So in 2019, the U.S. Right to Know started a a FOIA investigation on public universities. Uh, And it's it's an investigation that when it was announced, Monsanto created a memo uh, that noted that the plan had, quote, the potential to be extremely damaging. Uh, and if that's not like the most exposing thing you can say about something that, so they created a coordinated defense to the public records request from us right to know to give guidance on how to avoid disclosing details about funding while still conveying complete transparency in our relationship with academics. Uh, now when I read that, I, I don't think that's really possible, right? If you can't disclose where your funding is coming from, it's impossible to convey complete transparency. Right. And to trust anything. Exactly. If there's not transparency, there is no trust. Exactly. Uh, So the way these companies, Montanto and and similar companies get around it is by instead of uh, donating directly to universities, they actually donate to university foundations. So nonprofits um, where funds can basically be directed however it pleases, and they're not required to be disclosed. Okay, so undisclosed partnerships with academics and universities. Um, A big one is the University of Florida, uh, and a a big name in the biotech industry is Kevin Fulta. If uh, you look for anything biotech on Twitter, say, Kevin Fulta's there. He's shilling it. He's a a big, uh, big old mouth for... Monsanto and their friends. Um, but Monsanto gave him a $25,000 grant to basically run promotional programs for genetically modified products. Uh, at that same time, Fulta claimed that he had no ties to Monsanto. Um, and those programs also included Fulta traveling to other universities to train students uh, and other, you know, academics. He works for University of Florida. He's training other you know, professors, things like that, on how to, number one, promote GMOs, and number two, argue that they should not be labeled, uh, which is like, uh, I mean, 
is is it's there's no there's nothing like that they do that isn't immediately suspicious, right? Well, I just first going back a little bit, of course, of everywhere. It's Florida. This is happening uh, at the University yes. of Florida. Uh, and then they gave him 25k to just basically say GMOs are great and they should not have to be labeled. Yeah, it's he's just tra- he's training like students and other people in academia to on how to do what he's doing also. You know what I mean? So Yeah. I mean, obviously college students I think there's like a an inherent trust and in, you know people in academia, of course, and they also have you know, their careers to worry about that they haven't yet started. They're looking for ways to to help themselves in that. So obviously, like, this is going to go a long way in, in then kind of shaping those minds of the people who are then moving into the agricultural field. Um, so they're really, I mean, Monsanto, you know, fuck them, right? But, but, but it's pretty smart <laughs> for them to, like, fund shit like this because – Obviously, like the people who are closest to decisions being made and and, you know, are probably most trusted with with knowing what's best. Right. They're the ones who are then uh, basically knowingly or unknowingly um, exposed to the company's messaging. Right. And I think the, the whole like problem with all of this is that these are students, you know, you're going to school, you're expecting your teachers to be unbiasedly giving you this is what you know this is what a gmo is not promote gmos to the nth degree and say oh they shouldn't be labeled blah blah like you shouldn't be doing that that's not what you know you don't go to school to be shilled to you go to learn so you can educate yourself and uh like make your informed decisions in it, this this just completely takes that away from students, especially like you had mentioned, Zach. These are professors. These are people that they trust. I mean, if your professor is telling you, oh, yeah, GMOs are safe or they shouldn't be labeled for these reasons and things like that. At that time, you know, you're in a formative part of your life. You might believe it and you might not take that extra step and do some critical thinking because you're hoping that that professor has your best interest in mind. Yeah, Exactly. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's funny you say that because, uh, it is like, it, like you of course trust it and you would, you trust that even your professors have your best interest in mind. Um, Kevin Fulta, there was something in here about him, um, claiming that he, he had drank glyphosate and he would do it again to prove how harmless it is. I tried looking <laughs> it up, but, uh, I couldn't really find anything. I mean, like. I really don't care if he, if he drank it, uh, good for him. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, the one thing I did find was a professor at Cornell actually did this and Cornell is like one of the worst I'll get into it. But, but as far as like American institutions pushing this stuff, Cornell is like maybe the very worst, but there's a professor there who did it in a class who like, well, I don't think it was glyphosate, but it was some kind of, uh, herbicide or pesticide. And he, he tasted it in class and then he offered it to a student. That's crazy. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was just like insane to me. And it's so funny. He's like, Oh, it's, it's totally harmless. 
in the in the video he's got like a giant bandage over his face it looks like he just got like a fucking biopsy like a cancer <laughs> screening it was, it was uh interesting to, to watch that um, is like i can't even believe a professor was offering it to students yeah it's wild like it, that's just how like and i don't they might believe it you know what i mean like they might actually believe this stuff these professors but you got to be like sort of deranged to even try offering it to somebody else like a a, a pupil right, right? <laughs> um who, do, who really probably doesn't know that much about it yeah exactly and like especially the same thing it's like a it's an abuse of power to be honest because that professor the, let's just pretend he, you say no that professor then gets on his high horse and then targets you the rest of the, the semester and gives you worse grades because you made him look stupid or you're like no i'm not drinking a pesticide and then he's like well now you have bad grades or he's harder on you or whatever or yeah, or, it might be it's abuse like, yeah, of power he won't write you a recommendation something like simple right. shit like that even yeah so uh moving past that lisa drake who was a monsanto employee at the time also worked with uh, fulta to boost the profile of gmos on websites like webmd which you know like webmd i feel like I mean, it's obviously the most used like medical website, whether, you know, how, how accurate or how trustworthy it is. <laughs> it's the Wikipedia like, of medical advice. <laughs> right. Like if, but if somebody's having like health concerns and certain symptoms, right. Probably the first thing they do is Google it and it'll probably take them to WebMD. So getting into to WebMD and what kind of their, messaging is on GMOs and related products, uh, chances are it's not going to promote those things as causes for symptoms. You know what I mean? So, so I mean, that's part of, of the, the final tactic in all this, which is dominating the online universe, I guess. But um, it's not just Monsanto employees doing this. It's people in academia being paid by these companies to then go to every other, you know, influential sphere in the world and then peddle all this. Yeah. So, so like going back to when he said he would drink or when he said he did drink glyphosate, <laughs> uh, he also said that uh, the health risk of consuming pesticide through food is probably somewhere between 10,000 and a million times lower than a car accident. I mean, that doesn't sound like a very academic mind to me. Um, right. What the fuck is he even talking about at that point? It's like two, two totally separate things. Like, okay, health risks of, you know, being exposed to... Uh, to something in your food. Synthetic chemicals, yeah. Versus a car accident. like <laughs> Something almost completely out of your control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like pesticides are... So so present in like in 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 almost all food that isn't you know specifically marketed as pesticide free uh has a certain amount of pesticides sometimes a lot Uh, yeah and then just comparing being like that's way less of a health risk than crashing your car (laughs) like okay of course i'm gonna get hurt crashing my car but i have somewhat you know control over that and then some say over over you know how fast i drive 
how much of a, an idiot I drive like. Right. I don't know. It's just like, it's also things like that to where they skew the argument in ways that aren't even really helpful to talk about. Uh, there's a private email list um, created by Monsanto called Ag Biochatter. Uh, and it includes current and former executives from agrochemical companies, higher ups at biotech industry trade associations, and dozens of academics. I mean, these are, these are like, it's pretty cross-functional to be honest. I mean, more than one company, like this is this is a total industry effort to basically get everybody on the same page with their messaging. Um, and then, you know, with that, they have certain organizations, things like GMO Answers, which is run by a, a Montanto PR firm, where, you know, you go there and you ask questions and it's um, somebody from this group is answering a question, basically just to stop people from worrying about GMOs. And and part of that is to to highlight messaging uh, efforts that that try to frame the health concerns of GMOs uh, to to make them seem like they are agenda driven, um, meaning you know I guess the organic industry is pretty powerful in their minds. Like I, I mean, uh, <laughs> who's got, who's got what? What's the agenda of of like not? using, you know, synthetic chemicals while, yeah. you know, the other side is basically just profits <laughs> is the, is, is the entire ideology. Uh, and then, you know, obviously they're going to be talking about things that, that support GMO as, as safe options, as pro science, quote unquote. I feel like this comes up a lot in our podcast. It's just, you cannot trust these companies. You cannot trust them to, put the right thing over your health they will do like zach said they're gonna choose the profits every single time until a bigger pressure comes down that uh pushes them off of that you know be that regulations or whatever but it's it just shows that they're gonna do they're gonna coordinate with their other uh basically i would say their other competitors almost to get this is how we're going to be talking about this uh this push this agenda and all work together so we can all make the most money exactly and then the, the way the way academics kind of function in the the role of lobbyists and um, blocking regulations policy things like that uh, they work in tandem with these these companies and these trade associations um, going back to kevin falta again he took a trip to Hawaii uh, as part of the Hawaii Crop Improvement Association, which of course was funded by Bayer and uh, Corteva Crop Sciences, who I, I believe is funded by Dow, Dow DuPont. Um, and he went there to lobby against pesticide restrictions. He promoted his trip as an independent scientist, simply sharing the science of GMOs. Uh, and their messaging revolved around giving the business council their peace of mind about the pesticides that were being used and crops being grown. When when you like think critically about it, um, well, yeah, why would why would an independent scientist go there 
and simply share science right. when nothing about the science really agrees with you or, or when <laughs> when it's basically understood you know throughout the industry that the science is controlled by these very few entities um, but we'll get into it a little later about Hawaii specifically and and kind of how it's how the 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 region and the people are really kind of preyed upon about by these companies. Uh, Bruce Chassis is another one, so uh, similar to Kevin Falta. He is actually a or was a professor emeritus at the University of Illinois. Uh oh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's crazy. Um, I did see while I was there, like I never been into it, but there's in the the college library, the college you know, that I was in, um, there's a room called like the Monsanto auditorium or something. And then I like, and I was aware of it and I was aware of like Monsanto is not good or, you know what I mean? But I was like, but like this just kind of puts it into a whole new perspective. Um, anyways, Bruce Chassis was paid $57,000 by Monsanto over two years to travel right and promote GMOs, same way Kevin Fulton did, right? Um, Monsanto, at that same time, also donated over $5 million to the University of Illinois Foundation. I mean, that's just another example, right? Donate to foundations. You get these things like the, the Monsanto Room. And during that same time, of course, Chassis was involved in lobbying regulators to deregulate GMOs, just like Kevin Fulton was. Uh, he actually organized an effort to defeat an EPA proposal for a data requirement to better understand health and environmental impacts of genetically engineered crops. I mean, that's like, that's how preemptive this is. It's how, it's like, they won't let even an inch go by without some sort of resistance, right? Like, this is simply a proposal for data requirements so they can understand it better uh and they have to like throw out these efforts to 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 even shoot that down uh he he um this or he founded the what's it called academics review which is basically a uh an organization of academics that reviews certain studies certain classifications uh, for example, they gave the IARC classification uh, an F rating. <laughs> Their funding actually comes from the Council for Biotechnology Information. Over 80% of that organization's spending came from the CBI. So, I mean, you can just tell where all the, all you got to do is follow the money. And we've been saying that for our, pretty much our entire, you know, Podcast. podcast career yeah. yeah our entire podcasting career we've been said follow the money you'll probably find where the uh the interest is and basically believe the opposite <laughs> the, the crazy part about uh this going back just a second is like this chassis right he got like fifty seven thousand dollars over two years uh that's disclosed at least to me that doesn't seem like a lot like, I don't know. I feel like you're completely tarnishing your reputation as a academic, as a professor. It just doesn't, I don't know. I feel like I, it just doesn't make any sense to me that these people are 
I guess, yeah, $57,000 would like really change some things. You know, you could probably put a down payment on a house or something, right? Yeah. But is that enough to just tarnish your reputation, your, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's in addition to what he's already making, what he already has. Um, True. But, but like, you say tarnish your reputation. Like, this, this is happening and it's not like, it's sort of secretive. It's like, don't ask, don't tell. Um, but it seems like this is pretty well, uh, pervasive and, 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 you know, expected by a lot of these institutions for things like this to happen. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like a lot of money for, for like, if somebody actually cared. Right. But the issue is like, like a lot of people don't don't care. care, And there's a ton of effort to make it seem like it's not a big deal because there's a ton of effort to make it seem like GMOs are totally safe. So I understand what you mean because, like, it is to. I mean, like, in my opinion, this is selling out. Right. It's it's yeah exactly because like if someone was like, hey Nick, you get X amount of money, but you have to say like climate change isn't real, or you know, or like promote GMOs, it would be a lot of money. Famous for it, right? Yeah. I'd have (laughs) to get a ton of money. Like, I'd have to have like buy the world money. (laughs) You know, like I don't. I don't want to be like the guy that's like, oh yeah, you know, this isn't makes real. the world a worse place, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I just, I don't know. I have to guess there's a pretty long line here of people who are willing to do this if, to do whatever. If, yeah, if the price tag is that low, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it is like it's disappointing for sure, especially knowing you know these are institutions that are pretty pretty well trusted. Uh, in our country but you learn and you learn not to trust so much i guess <laughs> right unfortunately yeah so chassis and Fulta, they link up they get together and they arrange messaging training programs at public universities other public universities and these training programs they're designed specifically to shape the coverage of pesticides and GMOs in the press. Um, And this is where they start going by academics review. They claim to be independent, but obviously, you know, you could probably guess they're being funded by by, uh, trade associations like Council for Biotechnology Information, which by the way, that is also funded by BASF, Bayer, Dow DuPont, and Syngenta. Um, So they're going to these and they're, they're basically, they're not training on science, right? They're training on communication. They're training on how to cover these certain things that then they, you know, they they throw under the guise of science communication to make people understand things better. But it's more, I mean, it's corporate messaging is all yeah, the really marketing. Is. They're marketing exactly. for these companies. So certain sessions at the, at these boot camps, um, Go by go by some some titles, some funny titles. The first one is reframing the debate: five arguments for GMOs, which is like, okay, if you're in the right here, why do you have to reframe the debate? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, why like do you what have to happens? Take a different angle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next one. Oh, this is this is my favorite one: claiming your real estate on social media. 
like like this is the hype house or something yeah we're 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 monsanto spray you get your glyphosate here it's the new summer drink <laughs> yeah is that was that right is that, is that what hype house is is that an influencer thing i i'm sure uh, okay. you're asking I the wrong really person know. i'm not on social media <laughs> like at all <laughs> um it sounds like a thing yeah next one building trust in science and the science of agriculture i mean that sounds innocent enough right until you right. kind of think like why is there why do we need to build trust what happened to the trust you know what i mean and the last one chasing the media which is like the most pathetic one i, I think <laughs> a certain individual um influencers i guess we can call them now now that now that we know kind of the boot camp they went through and 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 the <laughs> sessions they took, uh, first one I want to talk about is Yvette Dentremont, otherwise known as Psy Babe. Have Whoa. you have you like looked into any of these people, Nick? Uh, <laughs> pretty much anybody who is a woman in these circle in these circles has attached Babe to their um, e- alter ego, whatever they want to call it. Uh, many times, you know, I don't want to like get into discussions about women's appearances, but like babe is doing some heavy lifting. I don't know that. Like I got a, a certain, you know, certain image in my mind of what a babe is. It's not common in, in, in this uh, sphere. Anyways, she specialized in keynote media talks, uh, mostly um, sponsored by Monsanto, of course. She also claimed that it's been proven very carefully that once pesticides get into the food supply, that they are safe for people. I mean, we know that's not true, right? And um, also undisclosed, she worked for Amvac Chemical Corporation, which is a corporation that sells older, more dangerous pesticides and also works to keep chemicals on market longer or on, long, on market for as long as possible. I mean, basically everything Monsanto does, uh, they're doing also with some more dangerous chemicals. <laughs> uh, Mark Gunther, who's actually a, uh, a writer for The Guardian, which is like, I respect that publication, right? Same, yep. Maybe maybe until now, but, but uh, <laughs> he wrote an article about nonprofits that are critics of glyphosate uh, you know groups like friends of the earth consumers union um, and he wrote that article based on a critique he wrote or a, a critique he read written by val giddings on the consumers union val giddings by the way is a former vice president of bio by biotechnology innovation organization which is we talked about it a little bit or I mentioned it in the last episode, that is the the highest funded um, biotechnology trade or association there is. Uh, and he's writing like, you know, these critiques and then, you know, journalists, quote unquote, that work for actual reputable sources or um, papers, magazines, whatever the fuck a guard, the Guardian is, I don't know, <laughs> websites, um, then, you know, take those ideas and then put them into the mainstream. Uh, he was, he took Bruce Chassis' suggestion to kind of talk about things like the costs of GMO labeling 
um, in that article um, using a study from the Cornell Alliance for Science, uh, a study which was debunked. It would not cost as much as they said it would. But, you know, that's just what you're getting when you when you kind of convince people that these are what the experts know about GMOs. And then you train people on how to convey basically whatever the company wants to convey. All right. With that, we're going to go into a quick intermission with our, I guess, by weekly or no weekly uh intermission on what are you <laughs> sipping on <laughs> uh zach you want to start us off tonight i certainly will start us off tonight uh since i have such a long episode tonight i figured i better be good and lubricated for it <laughs> i am drinking or i'm sorry i'm sipping on <laughs> kettle one and water <laughs> I was going to say, for a second, Zach, I thought you had a whole pint of just Kettle One. Uh, and I was going to be a little yeah. bit terrified for you. <laughs> Glad to hear it. It's got a little water in it. It's easier to drink that way. Yeah. But, uh, you know what? Okay. So, Nick, before we yeah. move on to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your vodka of choice? Uh, if I have to drink vodka? <laughs> oh, God. I don't even know. Uh, I usually go with Tito's, which is okay. 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 Not a big fan of vodka overall. <laughs> yeah. I, dr- I guess I'll drink anything, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a half a bottle of Malort. Ooh. Um, which I've had for about four years now, I guess. I feel like Malort's such a midwest thing <laughs> it's a chicago thing yeah know? it sucks it's terrible sorry very bad sorry. it tastes like a sorry dirty sweat our, sock sorry sorry to all our chicago natives listening to this and malort um, fans yeah uh but you, you all know it's true so <laughs> <laughs> yep okay well nick what are I'm, you sipping on i'm sipping on a perpetual IPA by Trogues. I don't fucking know. Some crazy brewery. Saw it. It was the mm. last case at the liquor store today, so I figured I had to grab it. Is this your first time drinking it? Yep. Uh, it's. I'd say. Mm, I don't know. I'd say it's maybe a six out of ten. Six out of ten. Yeah, it's it's okay. I'll drink it, okay. but. How do you? So how do you? Um, I guess translate that is six out of ten like average above average even for you or is it bad because i know a lot of people think uh an out of ten grade is like uh like a you know a test grade to where a six would be a d minus i guess you're not doing so hot yeah where i think like five is totally average on a on a one to ten scale yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say a six is above average. Five is the average, barely above average. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's it's okay. Would I buy it again? Probably not. Okay, uh, because it just tastes like an IPA. I like uh, a like little the fruity stuff. Yeah, I like uh, fruity or <laughs> something. You know, give me something. This one's just like, yep, it's an IPA. Okay, 
You guys did it. Fuck you. I don't yeah. want the fruity stuff, Zach. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mind me some sour beer. I just made a sour beer. Did I tell you that? I don't think so. Yep. It's a pineapple sour. That sounds really good, actually. Yeah, well, you have to come visit me and I'll give you some. I have five gallons of it. Damn. All right, man. I will. But yeah, I'll take you up on that. Perpetual IPA, six out of ten. It is an imperial pale ale, so it's a little heavier. It's seven point five percent. I'm getting loaded. Yeah. Um, um. Yeah, I guess if I'm grading this, kettle one in water. Yeah, let's get a grade on that. Um, I'd say seven. I'd give it a seven. I'm not. A, see, I can't do like sugary mixers anymore. Oh, got rod will kill you. Stomach, yeah. yeah, yeah. It makes, yeah, it makes me more hungover. Uh, For I, sure, I that, that's a thing. Um, but yeah, seven out of ten, vodka and water. Um, Kettle one's good vodka too. Like I started drinking it um, after watching Real Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> There's uh, early seasons. <laughs> Regular. Why do you watch Real Housewives of Atlanta? Oh, it's so good, man. You got to watch it. Oh, my God, dude. I, all I watch is Survivor. Yeah, my fiance uh, likes reality TV a little too much. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's a there's a early season regular who his name is Peter Thomas for any of the watchers who would know what I'm talking about. Very... Uh, very, I would say a smooth guy, cool guy. He drinks every time he orders a drinks. It's uh, it's a how does he order it? Kettle and cranberry or cranberry and kettle. <laughs> so I, I, that's when I picked up kettle one. Ooh, <laughs> uh, we're just gonna slowly devolve into a real housewives of Atlanta podcast. Oh, <laughs> I, w- I probably would. I probably don't know enough to. Uh, I, I might know enough. To like not look like an idiot, but I don't even want to. I don't want to get involved with that fan base. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Some lunatics. I bet. I mean, it's, from what I've seen in the previews, it seems like lunatic people uh, on it. Honestly, the Atlanta series out of all the Real Housewives is probably the most normal mm. <laughs> and relaxed. <laughs> I mean, I from what I've heard and from the little I've seen of the other ones, those are like those people should be institutionalized or something. <laughs> Thought you were gonna say euthanized for a second. I was like, damn. Some of them might need that too. <laughs> uh, well, moving on from Zach's Real Housewives of Atlanta segment, I wanted to ask you, Zach, how uh, I I we already talked about this a little bit beforehand, but. I, uh, let's talk March Madness oh real quick. Oh, boy. Uh, before Zach rubs it in, my bracket is absolute trash at this point. <laughs> Tell us who you had in the final four. Uh, let me pull it up. I will give everyone my my champion was Purdue. So already in rough shape. Going from there, my final four is... Virginia, Purdue, Indiana, and Yukon. 
so I have one possibility <laughs> for wow. my final four to get there. Virgi- so you had two of them out in the first round, one out in the second round. Yep. That is unfortunate, man. My gosh. Yeah, even my Elite Eight is pretty terrible. Uh, I had, obviously, Virginia, Baylor, Purdue, Marquette, Indiana, and then I have Xavier, UConn, and TCU. So I have well, two left in my Elite Eight. <laughs> at the time of this recording, UConn is beating Arkansas, at least, by almost 30 points. Well, I think that's about my only hope to have any yeah. chance in our, our March Madness group. Uh, yeah. And even then, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm just a uh, big UConn fan all of a sudden. You need just some some teams to self-destruct here is what you need. <laughs> uh, I'm doing not as bad as Nick. I'm actually winning the pool we're in. Yeah, rub it in some more. I've got three of my final fours still in the hunt. Arizona, big disappointment. But I've got Kansas State, who's uh, going to overtime against Michigan State right now. I've got Houston and Gonzaga with Houston as my winner. So looking forward to the next couple weekends to see how this plays out. But it's okay, Nick. I didn't expect a whole lot from yours. (laughs) I'm just battling for fourth place. Yeah, respectfully. You expected probably more than I did out of mine. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I'm battling for for fourth place. Uh, We got a 10-point difference between fourth and fifth right now, so... That's that's where uh, everything's going to change and everything's going to matter. Yes, sir. Those late rounds is where you get the, the most points. So, yep, don't give so up hope. Go UConn. Uh, don't know your mascot. Is it Huskies or something? Like it's that? Huskies. Ooh. It is Huskies. You know more than you thought. Ooh, look at that. So, yep, yeah, big Huskies fan. All right, now we're going to talk about Cornell. The Ivy League, baby. You love the Ivy League? No. <laughs> I, I despise the Ivy League. Big hater. <laughs> uh, yeah, Princeton, Sweet 16. Hope they lose. Hope they get <laughs> beaten down. Hope they cry. Uh, anyways, <laughs> Cornell, Alliance for Science, launched in 2014 uh, as a Communication initiative, obviously, same thing as this um, This whole chapter has really been based on. Uh, and they had an initial grant of $5.6 million from the largest nonprofit in the world. Do you know what that nonprofit is, Nick? I've got to say it's got to be Bill. Billy Boy. Oh, <laughs> Big Bill. Yeah, Wild Bill. <laughs> the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You're absolutely right. Uh They've always got their fingers in something. uh Uh-huh. The Gates Foundation uh, since then has donated at least $22 towards the Alliance for Science. And I want to be clear about this. These are not like large organizations, right? This is maybe 100 people. 100 people I wouldn't consider like a big organization, really. Right. Uh. $22 Twenty-two million dollars goes a long way towards 
propaganda, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's for all of these. That's for, you know, American uh, Council on Safety and Health. That's for uh, Genetic Literacy Project. Like, these are not giant operations. They're effective operations just because of the resources they have. But it's not like they're splitting these checks uh, a lot of ways. It's a pretty concentrated effort, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, Cornell Alliance for Science, it operates a lot in uh, in Africa also. I mean, if, if it's funded by the Gates Foundation, chances are it operates as an operates in africa right he loves africa (laughs) (laughs) he's got something going on in africa um probably not not a great thing for african people but but um, doubtful it's good for them (laughs) (laughs) so african civil society groups even uh go on record saying that the alliance spreads false promises misrepresentations and alternative facts to support their motives i guess um that would get effort that would um you know get african countries to accept patented seeds um and to remove uh barriers from these companies operating in african markets right to 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 get governments i think specifically i would say specifically to weaken their their laws on on trade and on you know safety of environment and human health so that these companies can come in, sell their seeds and and take control over, over the markets there and farmers there specifically. Uh, The Alliance for science had the, had their central strategy revolving around recruiting and training uh, global fellows in science communication. So in 2018, they chose 27 fellows from seven countries, all in sub-Saharan Africa, to learn uh, strategic planning, grassroots organizing, the science of crop biotechnology, and effective communications. Now we're talking about science communication. More than half of those fellows were journalists and marketing professionals. So that's just like, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, right? <laughs> it, it's, all this is is like, propaganda marketing efforts to and and we talked about it last time too of of product defense and product acceptance yeah it's just it's their way of showing how no our product is good keep buying our product keep keep our product on the shelves uh everyone should trust our products they're completely safe there's that another this is just the next facet. So going through the academics. Um, yeah, just really, like you said, and it's yeah. a dead horse. You've been beating it for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like, again, I, like it's Cornell, right? People are very impressed by Ivy League institutions. If you're affiliated with an Ivy League school, somebody's going to like buy your shit um, and somebody's going to trust you. Right. I think it's it's encouraging to see like the these leaders in African countries kind of calling it what it is, uh, saying that uh, it's not, it's not like this humanitarian effort. Uh, but it, but it's it's so frustrating to to for institutions to have that kind of power and then wield it the way they do for corporate benefit. Okay. 
Back to the Gates Foundation. In addition to funding the Cornell Alliance for Science, uh, they also donated $600 million to their, their flagship organization in Africa, which is called AGRA. That is the Association for a Green Revolution in Africa. Uh, and the function of this association is to transition farmers away from traditional seeds and crops to commercial seeds, synthetic fertilizers, and uh, commodity crops. Things that really require a high input, things like pesticides and fertilizer, uh, things that are really industrial in nature, uh, just so they can then enter the global market um, you know, and basically feed the rest of the world while, you know, Africa really struggles with, with food security. Right. Um, so this organization is now pushing them to start exporting, exporting crops that you can't eat anyways. Right. Humans is not made for human, uh, human digestion. Well, you, I think cotton's a big one that they're, they're pushing there. Um, you know, speaking about Bill Gates, biofuel uh, crops are, are going to be huge there. Um, so, yeah, talking about food security and kind of how this, the idea I think they're trying to to persuade people that this is about is, is um, pulling farmers out of poverty so that they can afford food. But all that food's being imported anyways, right? Uh, so a 2022 review that was commissioned by agri-donors found that the project has to this point pretty much failed on improving food security at all in the region. So they're, I mean, it's, it's, it's a total failure in its stated goals, right? So you have to wonder why it's actually being funded. If it's such a failure, why, why Bill Gates is funding this. If it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, changes are it's, not actually the reason that it's that it exists and it's funded by him. Uh, speaking about agri specifically, a- African leaders uh, have pretty much said what we're saying now that it's working to increase corporate control over food systems. It damages the environment and it increases debt for farmers. Which, when you get that high input industrial agriculture in these uh, impoverished countries, nine times out of ten, that's what happens. You create this dependence on, on you know, seed agreements and, and not being able to share seeds and save seeds. Um, it's just further and further digging a hole to where you have to you have to grow more, you have to sell more, you have to buy more. Uh, and um, also speaking of the Gates Foundation, when we talked about the U.S. right to know FOIA investigation earlier, there was a Monsanto communication that uh, included the direct communication, or I'm sorry, this, the plan of communication included direct communication with Rob Horsch, who was a former Monsanto executive, uh, and at the same time as this was happening, was a leader of the Gates Foundation agricultural development team. So, I mean, like, it's almost like, uh, you know, the... Uh, revolving door in Congress to where mm-hmm. <laughs> you can serve in Congress and then get a paycheck from whatever industry you basically helped out the, the lab whole dog time. for. Yeah. Yep. Uh, 
that's what is happening here with Monsanto and the Gates Foundation, where the Gates Foundation is becoming the, um, I guess, the African wing for these companies to <laughs> to uh, set up shop on the continent. It's just like, I'm not even going to say it again. Beating a dead damn horse. <laughs> when we talk about financial ties um, of the agrichem biotech industry to certain organizations like the Cornell Alliance for Science, um, a lot of it can be indirect while not being, you know, insignificant, I would say, if that makes sense. The Alliance for Science states that it doesn't receive funds from industry, uh, but it does receive funds, like we talked about, from the Gates Foundation, who has major ties to Monsanto. Uh, so, you know, when people, when, when certain groups say they don't have financial ties, you don't always have to take it at face value, right? And you probably shouldn't take it at face value. Um, but and 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 especially when they act in certain ways that benefit those industries, the way the Alliance for Science did, um, when that organization you know served to basically discredit the U.S. right to know FOIA investigation, they called it uh, anti-science bullying tactics, um, and they said it stifled academic freedom. <laughs> basically, basically uh, you know verbatim almost what the Monsanto communication plan on that investigation uh, said to do. And wait, just like those, the verbiage they used is so funny to me to be like uh, <laughs> an Ivy league uh, organization and say that it's anti-science bullying <laughs> <laughs> as like the most, you know, one of the most uh, elite, I guess, uh, institutions in the world. Yeah. And also and also say like it stifles academic freedom. Uh I feel like if anybody uses the term or or like claims that something stifles freedom in uh in today's day and age, it's like probably not that and it's actually probably the opposite of that. That's like uh <laughs> that's like right-wing jargon 101, right? Uh anyways, let's get back to the Gates Foundation and their ties to <laughs> First of all, firstly, Alliance for Science. We know they're probably the biggest funder of Alliance for Science, I think. Um, and also their ties to Monsanto. Uh, in 2010, the Gates Foundation Trust bought 500,000 shares of Monsanto stock. Whoa. And uh, immediately came under some criticism for it. So then they sold that stock, but remained financially tied to the company through the largest holding in the Gates Foundation Trust, which is, um, can you guess, one of the other richest men in the entire world, the company he owns? Jeffrey Bezos. Am I right? Almost. Oh. No. Warren Buffett. Berkshire oh. Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway is the largest holding of the Gates Foundation Trust. And um, that company, and Warren Buffett specifically, uh, played a key role in supporting the Bayer-Monsanto merger in 2018. And then uh, Berkshire went on to buy 19 million shares of Monsanto stock. 
Holy crap. Yeah, it boosted its position by 62%. So just showing how hand-in-hand these corporations work together. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like all of these super high-level, high-visibility organizations, you know, Berkshire Hathaway is like, one of the most well-known companies in the world. Gates Foundation, obviously the biggest nonprofit in the world. They're going in on this industry and this company. Uh, and it's all tied to what we're talking about now, which is, is these corporate front groups who basically do the all the um, propaganda, advertising, whatever you want to really call it, um, for the entire industry. Uh, and the last thing I want to talk about, we talked about Hawaii a little bit earlier. And I just think it's it's... It's good to talk about this kind of stuff because I think it's a good example of how people and movements and cultures in other places are treated when it comes to corporate profits, right? So I think, you know, Hawaii is a a U.S. state. We all know that. Mm -hmm. But it's... I would say it has a different culture than the rest of the United States, wouldn't you? I mean... Absolutely, yeah. Uh and I mean, it's no secret that Hawaii is probably as exploited as any other foreign, as any foreign country. A lot of agrichem giants have established large developments in Hawaii to take advantage of, you know, natural things like year-round growing seasons uh, for their research, and also the lax regulatory environment. And whenever some dissent or or some resistance to what these companies do in these places comes up, um, there is a very harsh reaction to it from these companies and the organizations surrounding them. So, for example, Joan Conroe was a managing editor for the Cornell Alliance for Science and uh, some... um, some food safety groups in Hawaii were, I guess, in a way fighting against these major corporations that come in and, 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 and poison the land with pesticide, things like that, you know. She basically compared uh, one of these food safety groups to the Ku Klux Klan. Whoa. I mean, I don't know how you can, how you, how you can get like more serious than that. I mean, like there's very few ways you can go to to really villainize somebody more than comparing them to the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, that is not a, a light comparison at all. That is, holy cow. It's just disgusting, right? Like, as far as I know, um, Hawaiian, like native Hawaiians never really asked to be a part of the United States. Uh, from the history that I understand, they're just kind of forced, <laughs> uh, forced upon them. Um so to like to to go into a place, an American corporation, and do what American corporations have always done uh, in places that are you know not the continental U.S. where you know there's a different culture, right? They go in, they dominate everything, uh, and then they absolutely demolish any opposition to them. Uh, it's what they what happened in colonial times, it, uh, you know. There's no need to really go over it because it's so well documented uh, in history. But the Alliance was known in these communities for really vicious 
divide and conquer tactics to silence critics, to really isolate people who, um, you know, fought for a healthy environment and population there. Uh, and the Gates Foundation, of course, in 2020, renewed funding to the Alliance, at which point the Alliance expanded the scope of their function to counter conspiracy theories and dis- disinformation campaigns that hinder progress in climate change, synthetic biology, agricultural innovations, and other key issues. I mean, it, it's just like this giant mask that they're able to use to cover for everything they do to to do what they do to the environment and to people's health and then have their their third party you know third party in air quotes uh allies go out of their way to basically destroy <laughs> destroy movements and, and probably people's lives to be honest uh under the guise of countering conspiracy theories um, it's just like, you, you can't, you can't trust anything these, these people and these companies do. Like, at what point do you then understand what is happening and then side with these, these quote unquote conspiracy theorists? Because chances are, if, if they're being, you know, attacked this hard, that it's not a, a theory. And, and it, the thing about saying conspiracy theories and i'm kind of going off on a tangent here (laughs) is that (laughs) is that it's become this thing where like a conspiracy is now something that is inherently untrue or like like a wild assumption yeah when a conspiracy just means like people are working together to achieve like a, a covert goal right right which absolutely happens <laughs> everywhere in the world right uh yeah, conspiracy is just like planning together, basically, <laughs> to exactly, get something yeah. done secretly. Yeah, and that's a big thing for. That's actually why I got blocked by ACSH. <laughs> uh, I think, um, but they, they had us on Twitter, and they they quoted some tweet saying, uh, "Get new material." Um, the corporate conspiracy angle is getting old, or something. To somebody who was. Who's, you know, just acting in the interest of public and environmental health. Uh, and then I, I, I can't remember what I said. I said uh, this coming from like the propaganda wing of Bear Monsanto. And then I got blocked for it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean like this, it's just a very typical, I would say, kind of example of, of, of how giant corporations operate in these kind of spaces where the people there don't really have a whole lot of power. I don't know. You got anything to add to this this entire thing, Nick? I just think like through everything you've talked about, it is so unbelievable to me how, how corrupt our, our, you know, universities are what like, I know it seems like a lot of money, maybe to some people, but I just, like that much money to completely have no respect at all and then just with everything it's like so now we can't trust our academics we can't trust these people that you're going to to better yourself to better you know to for a better future for everybody um i just it just really shows what these companies are willing to do 
in order to make a buck. Um, it, it's, it's really sad to me. Uh, is <laughs> I just feel like the further we get into this report, the sadder it gets and the more doom and gloom it really is. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that it's like there's actually been a report written about it. Right. That's the kind of the only thing keeping me afloat. <laughs> it's, just like, <laughs> it's like this stuff has actually come out. They're writing on it. Uh, I think, you know, I guess like I'm I feel like a natural pessimist, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> uh, and that might come through in the podcast, maybe. But well, it works because I try and be an optimist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, this actually makes me feel like it's only a matter of time. Right. To where people actually realize and maybe maybe their social license to operate finally expires or runs out. Um, that's that's what's keeping me going. This, I yeah, guess. absolutely. And as I'm saying, I'm an optimist. Uh, here's the pessimist in me. Uh, this is too like throughout this article, we talked about two professors, two that are corrupt in this way. I mean, I don't know about you, Zach, but there's gotta be way more. Oh my God. Yeah. There's gotta be an insane amount of professors taking this, these amounts of money, if not more, if not less to promote whatever these companies want. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, that's funny you say that because, uh, there's a, a certain guy I see on Twitter all the time and I interact with, with on Twitter, uh, somewhat often i guess um who works for like university of saskatchewan i think and it's just like obviously all these tactics exist in canada as well that's all that really makes me think right he, <laughs> he talks just like these yeah going back to your point about like just the uni- the, the the role that universities play in this and, and academics mm-hmm. i remember years ago in I think it was probably 2020 before the 2020 election. Um, it might have been during the, the primary, but somebody was on Twitter is just like, I just want my institutions back. And I was just like, bro, our institutions fucking suck. Our institutions are they're terrible. They're what failed us. Exactly. Yeah. It's like they're, they're, they're everything bad about this world is like somehow a product of our institutions. Right. Yeah, the way these things have gotten to the way they are is by a lot of this corporate funding and corporate lobbying. Uh, yeah. Because they are lobbying for their profits. They're not lobbying for us, which is the biggest problem with lobbying in general is that me and Zach don't have enough money to lobby our <laughs> congressmen and women to say, you know what, I would much rather not get poisoned by Monsanto, by Bayer, by XYZ, all of the the ones we typically talk about. Yeah, and 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 let's be clear about it. Like people talk about the flaws of capitalism, things like things like free market. Like this is not a bug. This is a function of right. the the socioeconomic system we live under. Like this 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 exists to basically aid the systems that we live under. And with that, that is going to bring this episode to 
its end. Very interesting episode, Zach. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, great conversations we had. Um, very interesting how, uh, yet again, we're still talking about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. <laughs> I'm and sure we'll have a lot more conversations in the future about about that little <laughs> they seem to can't keep their name out of our podcast um and then also just very interesting i want to throw out how how these companies really jump into all facets of academia um but yeah i really appreciate it uh but just want to give you those props and then uh Maybe I'm going to throw this out to our listeners. If you're in school currently, went to college, maybe if you see things like Zach had saw, said he had saw at his college that Monsanto had a hall there or a center or there. some room. It was a, yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly what it was. But yeah. Yeah, keep your eyes they peeled. They had their name on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, report back to us what you find or. Honestly, also, it'd be interesting if your professors are coming at you guys with go GMOs, go whatever, whatever it might be. It'd be interesting to see if that's still happening or if you have a story like that from when you went to school. It'd be really interesting to hear from you. Uh, maybe we'll even read it, read out your story on the podcast. Um, so, yeah, send We'd those in. Do that, yeah. Uh, you can reach us at all our social medias, our email, everything's in the show notes. As always, uh, thank everyone for listening. And anything else, Zach? Just thank you. Talk to you next time. We are quite focused on smallholder farmers because the predominant number of Africans farming today are smallholder farmers, and they're on pieces of land that are less than two hectares, so it's quite a small farm. There are agro-dealers uh, that exist in these countries. We need to get that network up and running, just like we've got the vaccine network up and running and getting vaccines out, getting up and running so they're teaching people proper planting, proper fertilize, proper irrigation, and getting them new seeds as they come out. 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 Getting them new seeds as they come out.